Welcome to Grace Today. Thanks for being with us. And uh, my name's Ryan, one of the teaching pastors here on staff. And I would love to meet you if maybe we haven't met before. But thanks for being here in the room. If you're here with us, if you're tuning in online, thanks for doing that as well. Or if you're at our Montrose location, uh, welcome to you. And we jumped into a series just last weekend called Joyride. Uh, it's all about gratitude and kind of the journey of, of how to practice gratitude and really see where that comes from. And we said joy is really what we're all looking for. Uh, whether we realize that or not, whether we, whether we would call it joy or not, that's probably what we're actually after. We might use the word happiness or uh, kind of a peace, but, but at the end of the day, we're all looking for a kind of a deep-seated contentedness, a clarity of conscience to know I, I am where I know I need to be, and I'm doing the things that kind of God has created me to do, and there's a joy to my life. Like, I think everybody wants that, and whether we would uh, call it that or not, it's kind of irrelevant, but nobody sets out, out to be kind of miserable and joyless. None of us would aim that way. I think part of it is because we're built that way, we're designed that way, and we want to spend some time really trying to understand how do we get that joy? Like, where does it come from, and how do I cultivate that more and more into my life? And so that's the conversation we started just last weekend, and we really began to kind of unpack uh, why this is so challenging for us, because all of us would have moments or pockets where we've experienced joy, but I think for the vast majority of us, it's not a consistent lifestyle that we kind of live in. So why is that, and what breaks that down, breaks it apart, and uh, how do we get back there, and how do we live there as a consistent a part of our life. And so we opened up uh, with really looking at some things I think that we're tempted to believe, uh, the things that I'm tempted to believe personally. And so I, I thought we could at least start here kind of in review of looking at some of these tempting beliefs. So it's really easy or tempting to believe that if things aren't great on the outside, that that equals things not being great on the inside. And here's what I mean by that. Like when I look at the external, when I look at maybe somebody in a difficult situation, uh, their life is breaking down. Maybe they're in a financial crunch or they have a health issue or there's a loss or there's a difficulty. If the externals of life aren't quite what maybe we think that they should be, it's really hard for us to imagine that on the inside that that person would have the experience of joy. Like that, there's just a disconnect for us. I mean, if things are kind of broken out here, we just kind of assume that things are broken inside. How could I possibly have joy if things aren't what I want them to be out here in my life? If my relationships aren't functioning or firing the way that, that I want them to be, if I haven't found uh, the girl or the guy that I'm looking for, if my marriage isn't quite right, if it's not quite firing, if, if things aren't working with my kids or you name it, right? things are broken or not great on the outside, I just kind of assume that uh, certainly things aren't going to be great on the inside. We said the opposite also feels true. It's tempting to believe that, that if things are great on the outside, that things are going to be great on the inside. Uh, this is why we could look at uh, celebrities often, and we kind of assume that, man, if, if I had that much money, if I had that kind of situation, that much influence, if that many people knew my name, then certainly I would experience more joy than I experience in my little life over here. It's really tempting to believe that. And the reality is that we started to look at is that that's not how it works, that, that the vision of what I have in my head playing out often does not actually lead to joy. And in fact, the, the external circumstances of my life really have almost nothing, maybe even nothing at all to do with my experience of joy on the planet. That, that's kind of good news and bad news, right? 
And the good news is, is I can have joy no matter what, right? No, no matter what breaks down, no matter what my life might look like, no matter what uh, kind of my circumstances throw my way, I can have joy. I can find a way to, to kind of lock on to that uh, regardless of kind of how my life is going to play out. So that's great news. The, the, the bad news is uh, I'm so attached to my vision and I'm so attached to, to my pursuit of comfort that I have to recognize oftentimes that I'm kind of on the wrong path to finding joy. And I have to abandon that path and, and find a different way. So we kind of opened that conversation up last week. We looked at where joy comes from, the actual source of it. And we said, uh, contrary to what we tend to believe, joy really isn't about getting more and more and more comfortable and making my life more and more convenient. In fact, it doesn't really lead to joy. It leads to a burst of happiness, but not an experience of joy. Here's what we said last week. We, we said joy isn't found in the absence of pain. Joy is found in the presence of Christ. That if I want to find actual joy, I need to recognize that, that joy comes from a person, and that person is Jesus. And the great news is, is he is, he is that never changing. He doesn't ever move or change in a way that would cause me to not be able to trust him or rely on him. He's always the same. That's a very, very good thing. When I include him into my life, I'm including joy into my life because he brings joy with him. It's kind of part of who he is. And so we said that is a fascinating truth. I'm not going to outrun pain and find joy on the other side. I'm not going to achieve my way into joy. I actually just need to involve Jesus into my life in a real and a practical way. And the more I can do that, understand how to do that, the more I'm going to experience joy. Right? And we kind of set up shop around a, a, a guy's life, right? In his circumstances, a, a, an ancient leader in the church when it first got started, his name was Paul. We would think of him as the Apostle Paul if he kind of grew up in church. His name is Paul, and he's a guy that would have um, been against Jesus, came to know Jesus, became a leader in telling people about Jesus, eventually was put in jail for that. He's writing a letter from jail, and as he does that, he is unexplainably filled with joy. Right? Literally shackled, he's in a, a cell of some kind, and he's writing this letter to a church that he helped start, and you're going to hear the words rejoice or joy 17 times in this very short letter. And somehow he is in the situation that none of us would want to be in, and he's filled with joy. How did that happen? Somehow he's kind of unlocked the secret of including Jesus into his circumstances, regardless of what they look like. And we said, boy, that, that's where joy comes from. That's how it looked. And if you missed that first conversation, I encourage you to catch up online. You can do that through our website or the app or watch on YouTube if you want. But that's kind of the essence of it. What we want to do today is we kind of wrap up this series, this short conversation, is we want to start to dive into the how-to. Like, where, where do I actually go and how do I begin to see more and more gratitude show up in my heart and in my life so I can actually experience more and more joy? Like, wh where do I get started with this whole thing? And so we're going to dive into a different part of that same book of the Bible, Philippians, that Paul is writing from jail to us for and that uh, we can un understand a little bit of what he's saying here. And this is going to be a fascinating conversation. I have been unbelievably uh, helped by this stuff that I'm going to tell you guys about. I've just been personally challenged by it. And this conversation about gratitude is like a layer or two deeper 
than, than the whole, like, hey, think of five things you're grateful for. Yay, right? It, and that stuff is great and it's fine, but, it, but it's a layer deeper than that. In fact, I would say this, that if, uh, if you're a note taker, this is a great day to take notes. Like, even if you're not, you might want to become one today. And we put a little handout, actually, right in front of your chairs there. If you reach forward and grab that, uh, you can take notes on that if you want. Uh, if you're watching online, you can tune in and uh, you can download our app if you want to do that and uh, follow along, right? So just grab this little sheet of paper and the, the ones with all the words, the list of words on there is we're going to start off. But let me show you this verse as we dive into the conversation. And I want you to see this in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, the Apostle Paul's kind of wrapping up this letter and he's going to dive into uh, a set of encouragements for the believers here in uh, Philippi, the city that uh, houses the church that he's connecting with. And here's what he says, right? He says, finally, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. So he's going to say, hey, I want you to put your head, I want you to put your mind over here. I want you to think about this stuff. He goes on and says this. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice Here's this promise, and the God of peace will be with you. So if you want God to be with you, if you want the God who is peace, who is joy, who brings hope, if you want to experience him, shift where your mindset is, start to build this habit of, of thinking about and being grateful for the things that God has done, what Christ is doing in your life. And Paul knows that, how kind of that uh, works in our lives, how that leads us to joy I said it this way here in your notes. I said, when, when gratitude becomes a habit, joy becomes a lifestyle. And he knows that's how it works, right? If I consistently have gratitude be kind of a part of my life, a habit, not in a perfect way, but in a regular way, then what will happen is joy will start to show up more consistently in my experience of life, and I can have that be kind of the joy ride that I'm on. Now, Paul would say, based on that verse, right, gratitude is going to start with our thoughts, Gratitude is going to start with our thoughts. And I want to recognize, even before we dive into this any deeper, like we don't always have control about kind of our initial response with our thoughts. Like the, the, the initial thought that might come to our mind, I'm not even sure that's always our responsibility because we have some crazy stuff come into our minds sometimes. Uh, I think all of us do, right? I was in traffic about four days ago and this crazy driver just like zoomed up on me super fast did one of those things where he like pulled right in front of me, super, almost clipped my front bumper, you know, and, and as that happened, I thought to myself, I'm going to end you, <laughs> right? I mean, that, that was my first thought. I'm just like, that's not very good, Ryan. I recognize that, like, right? I get it, but that's the first thing that came to my mind. I thought, okay, uh, I'm not going to do what I've done in the past, uh, which is speed up to them and get very, very close to them because that teaches them to stop speeding, right? No one's ever done that before. Right? I, I didn't do that, although I was very tempted to, extraordinarily tempted to. Right? I kind of got a hold of it and got my mind right. But that initial thought, I'm not sure we always have control over that one. Uh, right? When somebody hurts us, when somebody says something to us, we're going to have all kinds of crazy stuff come into our minds. And I, I'm not sure that that's always our responsibility on what to do uh, with that in the moment, but here is what is our responsibility. We are 100% responsible for what we dwell on, for what we focus on. I'm 100% responsible for what I think about all the time. That is like, it's all in my 
realm of authority to choose that. Right? So, so my thoughts and what I think about, what I obsess about, what I focus on, it, it's actually my choosing. And there's a great freedom in that, and there's kind of a terror in that as well, because we all know how our heads work. But I get to choose that piece. And so what Paul's saying is, hey, I'm not, I'm not telling you to ignore the facts. I'm not telling you to deny reality. None of that. But I'm saying if you get to choose where you put your head, put it over here. And gratitude's going to start here in my mind. I got to start to be able to see what's happening in my head space a little bit. And I want to start to focus that way. So what I want to do is uh, go back and kind of look at each one of these words that we just read that Paul told us that whatever is blank, think about these things. Because I know, I don't, personally, I've read through that passage a whole bunch of times. Uh, maybe you just heard it for the first time, or maybe you're familiar with it. But those words, as I blaze through those really quickly, they feel to me at first glance like, oh, Paul's just saying, think about good stuff. But it's actually much, much deeper than that. Uh, there's actually, there's actually the, each of these words are loaded with meaning. And for me, as I was unpacking this, I thought, man, this this stuff is worth diving in a little bit deeper. I want to show you kind of what each of these words mean. And I want, I want you to see the opposite of the word because I think it helps bring some clarity about what Paul is talking about here. So here's what he starts with. He says, whatever is true, right? Think about whatever is true. The opposite of true, I tended to think immediately that it was going to be false, but really it's more the concept of fake, it's more the idea of thinking about things that are fake. If there's an opposite of true in the original language of what that word meant, the opposite of that would be fake, because really what this word is talking about is more than uh, factual correctness. What he means when he says true is like genuine, the real deal, something that is sincere and trustworthy. It is true. I, I want my mind to go there. The people that love me, that I can depend on and rely on. Uh, the Word of God is true. It is trustworthy. It's not only accurate, it's also trustworthy, right? I want my head to go here rather than towards what is fake, what, what is uh, surfacy and shallow, how, how, how popular or responded to I am on social media or how I look and how I compare or add up to other people, Th things that aren't really totally uh, real. They're kind of fake, and it, it doesn't really matter that much. It's just for appearance, for appearance or show. It's kind of a shallow approach to life. And he says, boy, if, if you can put your head here in the true and put your thoughts there, man, that, that's the road that's going to lead to joy. He goes on. He uses this word, noble. It's not a word that we use all that often. He says, think about whatever is noble, and here's the concept of noble. Uh, noble is, is, uh, is something that is dignified and even serious. It's really the word that we would use often. It would be like sacred. Sacred moments is what we're kind of talking about or, or things that have a serious tone to them. It's the stuff in life that really matters. Right? When you think about, think about it that way. When, when you think about a, a couple getting married and standing in front of each other at an altar and they're joining their lives together, a family is being born, like right in front of us. That is a noble, sacred moment, right? There, there's something super important and special and serious that's happening there. Uh, when, when someone who we love has passed away and we stop and we remember their lives, that's a sacred moment. That, 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 that's a moment that should be protected and should be dignified and honored, 
It's kind of off limits from mockery. And I should put my mind on some of those moments. My head should go there. The opposite of that, the word I used was dishonorable. Dishonorable. And this is the idea of uh, nothing is off limits of my mockery. Right? So, so nothing is, is uh, left dignified. I, I'll make fun and joke and mock about anything. Uh, literally, there's nothing that God could do or man could do that, that I, could, I could not mock or make fun of. And he, here's the thing, guys. In our culture, uh, we all love to have fun and joke. I do too. But there's a caution that, that if everything becomes mock-worthy, if there's nothing noble and nothing sacred left, we are in a severe, grave danger of what the Bible calls uh, becoming a mocker, which is a biblical fool. Someone that has lost sight of the fact that there's a God and that we, we should know him and recognize him and fear him in a healthy way. Revere him is probably even a better word. Right? There's a reality that I, I don't want to run to the dishonorable and, and even if my head goes here, I may not say those things out loud because uh, I want to live here more and more. I want my thoughts to be on the noble more and more. And here's the next one. He says, uh, think about whatever is right, right? Whatever is right. And the context is, is the idea is more the idea of doing right. So the opposite of that would be really kind of doing injustice, doing injustice. So if I'm thinking about my life and my life stage and my life situation, there's a right that I might do based on kind of where I am. If I'm single or if I'm married or if I'm dating or if I'm a student or if I'm an employee or employee. Right? There, there's right that I could do. What Paul's saying is, put your head on that stuff. How can you do right in the thick of the situation that you're in? Use your creativity and your ingenuity and your energy to do right right where you are as opposed to trying to get out of it, of doing injustice in the situation that we're in. Instead of working so hard to run away from the right that you know that you need to do, lean into it, get creative about it, and run down this road. I, I, sometimes when I think about this, it's very strange. I'm a fairly strange person. But I think about uh, bank heist movies. You guys ever watch those where there's like these unbelievably elaborate plans to rob something or rob someone of something? And every time I watch one of these, I think, I don't know if anybody actually commits crimes like this or not, but they're amazingly deep, right? Deep ingenuity and creativity and a whole bunch of thought goes into robbing someone, to doing injustice. And I always think to myself, man, if somebody with that kind of mind would spend the energy over here doing right, how much good would happen, right? And then, then usually I think about how that works in my own life. And I'm like, oh yeah, Ryan, you got to focus here and do right too. Because here's the thing, doing right and focusing on actually following through and putting into practice, what that leads to is a clear conscience. And there is absolutely nothing more priceless than a clear conscience. A clear conscience causes me to be able to look myself in the mirror and sleep at night and know that I have done what I was supposed to do before God and before people. And that there's nothing more valuable than that in my view. And, and here's the thing, whenever 
I know this is true. Whenever you have acted and made your conscience clear, at least this has been true for me, what's accompanied that is joy every time. It wasn't always easy, but it was right. And doing the right thing for the right reasons creates an unbelievable amount of joy. Okay, here's the next one. I want you to see this one. This one is pure. The idea of thinking about whatever is pure, right? So there are things that God has given to us, gifts that he has put into our lap, friendship and marriage and food and uh, if you're married, even sex, right? It's all a pure gift from God. And we can look at those things. I can, I can think about things down that road and, and say this is stuff that God has given. The opposite of that is the idea of, uh, of our world being polluted, running towards the sinful, uh, the shameful, often the polluted. And my mind running here is, is really a pain management strategy, Here's what I mean by that. Every time someone says to me, Ryan, I'm in the midst of an addiction of any kind, substance, a habit, you name it. If there is an addiction, if there's a regular running to the polluted, a sinful, hurtful, harmful habit, here's what I have come to realize and know, that there's always pain in that person's life driving them and the, the way that they have managed and coped with life, and I've done this myself, is they, they began to depend on the polluted, but the polluted has created more and more and more pain in their lives, and now they're trapped in it, enslaved by it. Instead of running to the pure, running to God, running to his word, running to the gifts that he's given to us to manage and to cope and to, and to deal with life, right? So running and thinking about the, the pure instead of the polluted, Here's another one that's absolutely fascinating to me. The lovely. The lovely. When I first saw this uh, word, I thought, are we talking about like something beautiful, like a lovely sunset? Because that's what I tend to think of when I think of lovely. Catch this. This is amazing. You'll never see this word the same. The word in the original language is this. It's made up of two words, and, and they go like this. For brotherly love. Think about whatever is for brotherly love. That's what lovely is. Think about how I can be a blessing and a help and an encouragement to the brothers or the sisters or the people in my life. It is being others-focused. It is being lovely. The opposite of that would be a self-centeredness, right? A self-centeredness where everything about my life is about me, and I'm running towards and thinking about and obsessing about how I can extend and achieve whatever it is that's on my mind to benefit and to please and to bless me. This one is focused on being a blessing. This one is focused on receiving a blessing. I want, I want to think about whatever's lovely. Now, even as we got one more to look at, but even as we're looking down this list, I just, I, personally, I'd love for you to think about it because I know when I look at this side of the list, I never find joy down this road. Like, never. When I run to sin or when I try really hard to get out of doing something or I'm, I'm mocking, like, there might be a moment of, of laughter or, uh, or fun, but there's a guilt residue with it. It never leads to joy. Like, never, personally. 
And, and I'm pretty sure if you looked at your own thoughts in life, uh, the, the times that you ran down this whole road, I bet you it never led to joy either. I think that's all Paul's saying. So he's saying, hey, if you guys actually want to find peace and you want to find joy, it's found over here, not over here. Right? So just pick, pick the road you want to navigate down. All right, let me show you this one more. This last one is uh, admirable. Admirable. Admirable is this. This is the idea of, of whenever I look at someone, whenever I look at a person in my life or people in my life, I have a decision to make whether or not I see the good that they do, the inspiring that they do, right, the things that cause me to be fired up and, and spur me on to love or good deeds, or I can look at them and see what they're not, what they're not doing and what they're not accomplishing, all the ways that they fail because the reality of the human experience is you kind of always get both. You, you get great, great good, and you get kind of great evil too, right? At least that'd be true in my life. The admirable is a conscious decision not to look at someone and pretend that they're perfect, but it's saying, yeah, uh, I could be critical. That's the other word we'd put here. I could be critical. I recognize that this stuff is here, but when I choose on what I should dwell, I land in the admirable. The stuff that fires me up towards love and good deeds, I, I put my attention there. Now, I have been amazed uh, in my personal uh, journey and have been admiring a group of people. I've been uh, working at one of our other campuses here for the last probably eight, nine months now uh, at our Ellet campus. And uh, this group of people has blown my mind. Because here's what they've been doing. Uh, in order to have church every week, somebody, some group of people has to show up and they have to set church up kind of from scratch at 6.30 a.m., rain or shine or freezing or blizzard, like you name it. They're taking stuff out of a trailer, speakers and kids' classrooms, and they're setting up church, having church, and then putting it all back away every single week without fail. And I've been watching this group of people for, for this, these last months, and I'm like, I am blown away by, by who you are. I'm, I'm admiring your acts of service, and you are inspiring me. You're firing me up, because I don't know if I would do that. Right? How, how long would I hang in there and do that hard work as they set up church in a high school? Right? We... We have the option to look at the people in our lives and consciously choose to do this, to see the admirable. Man, you're married. You can choose this part. You don't have to land here. You, you kind of hate it when, when your spouse lands here for you. right? Your, your parents, uh, you can see the admirable that they've done instead of looking and criticizing them. Your, your kids, your friends. See, this is why gossip and slander are, said, are spoken against as sins, because what they do is they multiply the critical among us. They, they enlarge for us that which is failing among us, and that keeps our focus over here into that which does not bring joy, rather than, than focus on the admirable and speaking about what good God is doing through other people, which further encourages and inspires people towards good. Right? So I want to land here, man. I want more and more to see this stuff. Not because I'm ignorant of the facts, right? This stuff all exists on the whole board. But I get to choose where I put my head. 
so do you, right? This is what Paul's saying. Saying, if I can land here more and more, pretty sure it's going to lead to more joy. Now, what's fascinating is, I don't think the conversation stops here, nor should it. Paul would start this entire section of Scripture with with a verse that I think adds some context for us. Because one of the things that I would would, uh, kind of feel like would be a nightmare for me is if you walked away today and, and felt like, hey, Ryan gave me a great list of virtues to, to aim at and try to live out. Ryan gave me some self-help, positive thinking tools to go live out. That would be kind of a nightmare scenario for me because I don't think that's what Paul's saying. Here's what I mean. Let me show you this verse. He says in Philippians 4.4, 4, a couple verses before, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let me help us connect the dots for, uh, for this. When Paul says, think about whatever is true and noble and right, which is really righteous and pure and lovely and admirable, I think what he's actually describing is not just some character qualities or some good thoughts. He's actually describing the person of Christ. He's describing the Lord. This is what Jesus is like. Right? This is a partial description of, he's like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He's literally the definition of nobility. He, he is sacred. Right? He is righteous. He's the only one who's actually pure. Uh, he's, the, he's the one who lays down his life for his friends. Literally gave himself for the benefit of other people. And here's the fascinating one to me, is is he sees in others what others could never see on their own, including us. If anybody on the planet had the right to be critical, it's Jesus. He's the only one who's pure and perfect. If anybody could have pointed at us and said, you know what, all the things you're not. Here's all the ways you fail. Here's all the ways that you should be rejected. He instead chose to land here and say, I want to create my church I want to include you in my family. I believe that you can become more than you could ever see on your own. Let let me give you my life, and and I want to show you what you're going to become when I live inside of you, when you become my follower. He he sees in us a vision that is far beyond what we could see for ourselves. Literally, Paul's saying, hey, look look for the stuff that Jesus would do if he were in your seat. Right? Look for Christ in the midst of your relationships. What's the stuff that he would be consumed with? What looks like Jesus around you? And put your heart and your head there. Isn't that fascinating? Kind of blown away by it. When we're talking about the practice of gratitude, see, it, it can't just land in a self-help category. And gratitude is kind of, uh, it's kind of hot right now. Right? Everybody's starting to catch on that when I'm grateful, it does some good stuff for me, and that's good. I think it's a great thing. But here's the thing. We can't leave it in, in a self-help category. We can't allow it to be disconnected from the person of Jesus, and there's some pretty good reasons for that. The, the practice of gratitude is more than that. Here's what I said. You know, I said the practice isn't positive thinking. It's praiseworthy thinking. This is not self-help. It's actually worship. Track it with me. When we say, I'm going to put my head here, what I'm actually doing is saying, God, 
thank you, Jesus, thank you that there is true to cling on to. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the genuine in my life. Thank you for the relationships and the people that you have put in my path. Thank you that there are noble moments that I can be impacted by. Thank you, Jesus, right, that there's right that I can do and I can see it and know it and embrace it, that I, I don't have to live in cowardice, which is what happens here when I run away from what I've been truly called to be, right? That, that, I, that I can run to the pure and say, God, thank you for the gifts that you've given. I can live a life that's not trapped in self-centeredness. This is, this is the road to misery, friends. I'm rescued from that. Thank you, Jesus, that I can live out the lovely and, and people do that for me and I do that for others. And thank you for giving me the vision that I can see people the way that you do. With admiration. See, when I do that, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for the forgiveness you died to give me. Thank you for the family that you set me in. What that ends up being is worship. Right? It's not just self-help. It's not just positive mental attitude. It's beyond that. It's deeper than that. It's worship. And here's the thing. The, the reason why is I can't just be grateful to nothing. I can't be grateful to no one. If there's a gift, there has to be a gift giver. There has to be someone behind that. That's what I said in your notes. But we can't be grateful to nothing. We are grateful to a person, and that person is Christ. Every good thing that brings joy into my life, I promise you, if you trace it back, whether you believe in Jesus or not, the root and the source of that is Jesus, period. Which is, which is why I'm pretty sure if you're here today and you're searching for something, maybe you're like me who's an atheist in college, I didn't know what I was looking for. I knew I was looking for something. And here's what I was convinced of by the time I said yes to Christ. I was totally convinced that this lame way of existing was not leading me where I needed to go. And I, I bet you, if you're here investigating your faith, you are getting convinced or you are convinced of that as well. And it's certainly that to be a Christ follower doesn't mean that we never fall back into this. We all do in all kinds of ways, uh, me too, including today. But I don't want to live here anymore. And the good news is that if you're looking for joy and you're looking for purpose and you're looking for peace, I would look at you and say, hey, let me, let me just go one step further. What you're actually looking for is Jesus. He is the source of all of that. Congratulations, you, you can find what you're looking for. Man, won't be absent of pain, but certainly it'll be present with joy. Now, we added the extra layer on here. We see that this is actually a partial description of who Jesus is. But I don't want us to stay here. I want us to continue to go a, a level further with it. Right? Because I, I want to actually put it into practice. Here's the thing. Sometimes, um, sometimes, praising Jesus, thanking him for what he is doing and has done, sometimes that stuff is really easy. And sometimes it's not so easy. Look, look at this verse that Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Did you hear that? A sacrifice of praise. 
the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Recognize that sometimes it's easy to thank God for the good stuff in our lives. Right? Right? God, thank you for five guys. Right? That was really easy for me to say. Right? Thank you for the kids and, and the family and my wife and my friendships and my church family. God, th- that is easy to say. Sometimes it's really, really hard to say. Right? Let's say it this way. Sometimes praising God is a sacrifice. Sometimes in the midst of my situation to say, God, thank you, when I feel like I don't know where God is and I don't know if he's still with me and I feel like he's mad at me, or if I wonder if I can trust him, to say thank you in those moments is a sacrifice of praise. To put my situation here and say, when I'm in difficulty, it's, it's different. There's, a, there's a, a heightened pressure on that decision if I'm going to land here or if I'm going to land here. In this column or in this column, I recognize that. It's a sacrifice of praise. I want to show you guys that this is the very first verse that I learned uh, after I came to know Jesus in college, atheistic background, and this was my first Bible study. Right? It's like a college Bible study. We're studying the book of James, and he, here's what James said in chapter one of, of his letter. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Paul's going to say, hey, listen, when you're in the middle of whatever it is you're dealing with right now, you have a decision that you get to make. When it's hard and you're afraid and maybe you're not sure if you can trust God or maybe you're not even sure if you know God, you have a decision to make and you have the freedom to land over here, you also could consider landing here and finding pure joy. Not for the pain, but for what God does in and around and through the trial, the difficulty, as we offer the sacrifice of praise. Guys, this is where I want us to land today. Because I would hate for this to, to stay out here in theory land or some good thoughts. I want us to actually land in a place where we're practicing gratitude, where we're saying, God, thank you for who you are and for what you've done. We want to kind of do it for real. We want to start in the hardest spot, uh, the actual spots that, that cost us a sacrifice of praise. So if you would be willing, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to reach forward and grab uh, this little notepad. If you're taking notes on it, just lift it up. Show me that you have it with you. Grab that real quick. Right, grab it real quick. If you're watching online, you can, again, do this through the app, or if you're doing it here, you can do it that way as well. I want you to flip it over, and here's what I would love to, to have you do if you're willing. If you're willing, I want you to think of the frustration or the difficulty or the relational tension that is on your heart and your mind right now, and I want you to write it down, like in the room right now. I want want you to jot that thing down. In a few minutes, we're going to have the band come out and play some music. I want, want you to take that time and actually write out 
What is it that you're struggling with? What's kind of the battle that you're in the midst of fighting? We're going into Thanksgiving. Some of us are going to have relational tension and family tension on our mind. Maybe that's it. Maybe for some of us it's a health issue. Maybe if you're looking for somebody in your life and it is a challenging time or you have a breakup that you're navigating or there's a financial problem, I don't know. Who knows what it looks like for you? But would you jot down what that is? And then as we worship and sing and the band creates a little bit of space for us, would you answer these questions kind of between you and God? God, what are you teaching me through the middle of this difficult time? How are you changing me? What, what kind of freedom are you actually opening up in my life because this difficulty is here? God, how are you opening my eyes? God, ready, show me, help me see the true and the noble and the right and the pure and the lovely and the admirable right here, right now, in the thick of this difficulty I'm in. And and Lord, I want to offer the sacrifice of praise. I want to thank you for it. Because we want to actually do that. The band's going to come out and give us space. And I'd love for us just to be still and to take the time and write it out and pray it out and thank God for what he's doing. I bet you're going to find joy as you do that together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that with you comes joy and that there is no joy apart from you. And God, thank you that you carve out and you show us the path to find you and to find gratitude and to see that cultivated in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Because Lord, we want to be people of joy. I do, Lord. I want more of this. I want to see more of what you're doing. I want a clear conscience. I want to live out of love. So God, would you give us the courage here and now to be honest about the things in our hearts and our lives that that are difficult to thank you for? God, would you give us the courage to to see what you're doing in and around the pain? We know you don't rejoice in our suffering, Lord, but you bring great good out of it. Help us to see that. That you love us. That you're for us. You'll never leave us or or forsake us. Lord, speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Meet with us, Lord even now.